This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. So we're going to go from the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel in chapter 3. And this is kind of a famous story. This is a story I remember from my childhood. We teach it in kids' church a lot because it kind of feels like it fits with, with kids and the call of God on your life. And so we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to start out in verse 2. And it says, One night, Eli, who, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli, and and said, Here I am, you called me. Eli's like, Frustrated with being woken up in the night, right? He's just, my son, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. We're going to continue on in the story here in a moment. Let's just pause there and reflect on some of what's going on. It's almost this humorous story, right? And you're like, man, the Bible loves repetition on this. And they're they're making it almost a humorous story and this dynamic between Eli and Samuel. But some backstory to this is Eli is the high priest. So he's representing God for Israel. He oversees the sacrifices. And this is before King David, before King Saul, King Solomon, all those guys, like no kings have been on the scene yet. And when it says temple here, it's actually just the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that Moses had built. So this is more like a, like we're kind of picturing this big stone building and gold everywhere and all that. But this is actually the, the tabernacle still. And so it's more like a big, big tent. And there's partitions in the tent, the way that God told Moses to put it all together. And so you can imagine, you can hear things pretty clearly through a through tent, right? And they've got, there's different partitions. So the partitions were separated by really, really thick curtains. Like some of these curtains were five, six inches thick. Okay, so they were thick curtains, but sound's still going to carry really well through them. And a lot of scholars believe that that sound of God calling Samuel through the tent was actually coming from the Holy of Holies, the place where the ark was. And so he's calling, from, he's calling Samuel from that position, from the Holy of Holies. And Samuel's actually sleeping in the tabernacle, as is Eli. But just imagine this as a boy. Like he's sleeping in the presence of God. Just saturated in the presence of God, day in and day out. 
but he doesn't yet know the voice of God. God hasn't been revealed to him. He doesn't understand. And most of my life, I kind of had this picture of Samuel being like, I don't know, six, seven, maybe eight years old, something like that. And it, it doesn't really tell us how old he was. But there's a key to understanding how old he might have been. And I think this is really interesting, okay? So I'm going to jump back to chapter 2 in verse 26. Chapter 2, verse 26, it says, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. So Samuel, if you don't know the full story, Samuel was born as a promise from God to his mother Hannah. She had been barren. She couldn't have children. So he was born as a promise. And she promised God, if she got a boy, he's going to the temple. And so you can go back and read the backstory. It's a really neat story. But Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with God and men. And that line sticks out like a sore thumb because Luke chapter 2 describes Jesus. Right? Everybody know the story of the temple? where Jesus is in the temple and he's talking to the priests and Pharisees and teachers of the law and amazing them. And you know what it says right after it tells that story? And the boy Jesus grew in favor with God and men. And so Luke, Luke knows his Bible. Luke is basically quoting about Samuel regarding Jesus. So if Jesus was 12 years old when he's in the temple and he's amazing the priest, and he says, don't you know I need to be in my father's house? How old do you think Samuel might have been? I would guess Samuel's somewhere on the age of 12, 13, 14, like somewhere in that age range that Jesus, that, that Luke later draws that same correlation with Jesus. I just think that's really interesting because age 12, age 13, like especially in Jewish culture, 13 is kind of when you become a man, right? And you got your bar mitzvah. And so there's this, there's this picture of a change in status, going from a boy to a man, becoming a man. And Samuel here is now be, about to become a man. And he's all, you can tell, like he lives in the temple. And he serves in the temple. He sleeps in the temple. He's just always around the presence of God. There's something different about this boy. And he'd been dedicated since birth to serve God in the temple. And you have this, so now you, now you kind of get a different picture, right? Like as I was telling the story at first, I'm guessing you were like me and you're kind of picturing a five-year-old boy, six-year-old boy, some, some real young kid, you know, like here I am, come running into Eli, right? But Eli is really old and it says his eyesight was weak. He could barely see. So Samuel's also old enough to minister to him, to help him, to take him around, to make sure the duties of the temple got done. Samuel's doing a lot of the work that Eli used to do when he could see. And this is also interesting because I, I skipped verse 1. You notice I was like, hey, we're starting in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 2. But chapter, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 2. But in chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And this really sticks out to me. The word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. 
And then the very next line says, Eli, who could barely see. So you have this contrast between the guy who's supposed to be the leader of Israel, the guy who's supposed to be the high priest, the guy who's supposed to see, can't see. The guy who's supposed to have a vision for the people of God doesn't have physical vision, and the word of the Lord is rare, and visions are rare. He's not hearing from God anymore. This is a stark contrast. And so the guy who's supposed to see doesn't see. The guy who's supposed to have a vision doesn't have vision. And the author of Samuel's wanting to make that really clear. Eli is supposed to be the spiritual head, and he's, his eyes are weak, he cannot see. His faith is weak, he cannot see. The visions are rare. And I think it's important because if you're ever in a season of your life where visions are rare, where, you're hearing, where hearing from God seems rare, what do we start to do? We start to doubt. We start to wonder, is God really there? Is God, God's not speaking to me as clearly as he did before. So is God still here? Is God still speaking? Maybe what I was hearing back then wasn't really real. Maybe I was kind of making it up. Maybe And people go through doubt, seasons of doubt, seasons of unbelief, and they wonder, is God still there? Is God still speaking? Maybe all these people claiming to hear from God aren't hearing from God. Maybe the pastor up there, he's not, maybe he's not hearing, like he's claiming to hear from God. He's got the microphone, so he should be hearing from God, but maybe he's not. And we start to question other people. We start to question other ministries. But notice that it says that the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. But is this how it's supposed to be? No. It's not how it's supposed to be. Just like Eli's vision isn't supposed to be gone. God had promised his people long life, healthy life. The guy who ministers before the Lord should have clear eyesight. When it talks about Moses when, on his death, when he died, it describes Moses as his eyes were still as sharp as they had been when he had left for, left for Egypt. It was 80 years before. And so if you're ever wondering, is the word of the Lord rare? Does he, did he stop speaking? And then now, some of you, maybe you've been exposed to this, but there's, there's churches that teach that God doesn't speak anymore. I would say, as much as half of Christianity today says God doesn't still actively speak. We got his word, so anything that he's going to say, he's going to say to you through this, but he's not actively speaking. You're not going to hear anything. You're not going to see any visions. If you see a vision, it's of the devil. And that's how they warn people. There's a, bunch, there's a good portion of Christianity that teaches this, that preaches this. And they say not only is the word of the Lord rare, it's so rare if you hear it, it's not the Lord, it's the devil. You should be suspicious. The theological term for this is called cessationism. They believe that the works and wonders of God ceased. Now that we have the Bible, we don't need those anymore. That's, that's what they teach. I'm way oversimplifying it, but that's what they say. Okay? Now, when, it, when you look at this passage like this, and you see, okay, Eli's eyes are dim, and words from the Lord are rare. This is not how it's supposed to be among the people of God. And what we tend to do when we stop seeing things, when we stop seeing the miracles, when we stop seeing the signs and wonders, when we stop seeing the visions, hearing God's voice, we tend to write it off. We tend to say, okay, well, maybe that was for a pastime. Maybe that was for then. And we start to doubt our faith. 
and we start to lower our capacity to understand God's word to the level of our experience. But you know what? When I read my Bible, I look at this, and this raises the standard. My experience doesn't measure up to this yet. Like, when I read about Peter, and I read about Paul, and I read about, like, their shadows healing people, like, hmm. I've prayed for people, and I've seen people get healed, but my shadows never healed anybody. But my tendency then is to say, well, that was for then. Maybe, you know, that was, that was Peter. <laughs> he was holy. He was, no, this dude, this was just a couple years after he betrayed Jesus. Like he could probably, as he's walking down the street, I bet the devil was still tempting him and he could still hear the rooster crowing in the background as he's walking down the street and people are getting healed by his shadow. You think just because you have doubts, just because you've messed up, it doesn't work anymore? Like somehow the all-powerful God is silenced by you. You're not that powerful. You're not that big. But we tend, we tend to lower our expectation to the level of our experience, what we've already seen, what we already know. And God's wanting to, God, this is the standard. I'm not the standard. There's things that I want to still see in this church in the future. What we have now is not what we're going to have. The miracles that we've seen are not what we're going to see. The worship that we have, the presence of God filling this place. We're not at the level that we're going to be at yet. But if we just walk into church and expect like, oh, it's just going to be like it's always been. We're lowering our expectations to the level of our experience. When we should be raising our expectations to the level of his word. Just because his word is rare doesn't mean it's supposed to be rare. It's supposed to be ubiquitous. It's supposed to be widespread. So the boy Samuel's ministering before the Lord. The word of the Lord's rare. There's not many visions. So now you kind of see why Eli didn't recognize that it was God calling him at first. And this is a sad state of affairs because the way that the temple was laid out, it's pretty likely that Eli was actually closer to the voice of God speaking from the Holy of Holies than Samuel was. So Samuel's hearing the voice of God, and Eli is not. And in fact, the voice of God is likely going right past Eli to the boy. Eli's closer. And Samuel hears it. And it takes, it takes Eli three times to recognize, oh, God must be talking to this kid. And maybe it takes him a little, like, I don't know, in the middle of the night, I'm not all there either. So we'll give him a little benefit of the doubt, right? He's been woken up several times. He's discombobulated and whatever. And he's just like, okay, what? Just go back to bed. <laughs> go back to bed. I don't need you. I didn't call you. And maybe he's even getting a little agitated. But I think that's why Eli didn't recognize that it was the voice of God. is because the voice of God had been, become so rare. It had been, been so long since he'd heard anything. And so just because you haven't heard the voice, maybe, maybe some of you in this room or some of you listening on the podcast later, maybe you've never heard the voice of God before. 
And you're like, I'd, I'd like to hear that for the first time. And some of you are like, I, it's been a while. I, I don't feel like I hear it as frequently. I don't feel like I hear it as clearly. Just because it's gotten rare doesn't mean God's done. Just because you're not hearing it the way you weren't once were doesn't mean he doesn't want to speak to you anymore. God's still speaking. God's still speaking. He's not wanting to skip over you. He's not wanting it to be rare for you. That's part of the reason why God put this message on my heart, is to encourage our congregation to hear the voice of God, to long for, to search for the voice of God, and to be like that heart of a Samuel. That even though you don't know what's going on, you don't even know who's calling you, you're just like, here I am. Here I am. And to not be like the voice of Eli. Go back and lie. Just let me lie down. Just let me get some sleep. If it's been rare for you, what if, what if you wake up in the middle of the night? And what if you ask God, you just tell God, here I am. What if it's as small as that? What if that's one of the pattern changes? You wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm not saying you need to go into this two-hour-long prayer session. I'm just saying you wake up in the middle of the night, and before you roll over and go back to sleep, what if you say, God, here I am? What if in this stillness, that's when he wants to speak? I believe the voice of the Lord is going forth. And he doesn't want to skip past you. But he wants to speak. And I love Samuel's positioning here. And this should kind of be our posture, right? Like, he's just, he's just this kid, 12-year-old kid, whatever, right? And he says, here I am. And he doesn't know the voice of God yet. Now, one of the key differences here, as we're talking about this, is Samuel's getting the benefit of, like, the audible voice of God, right? Like, you're kind of picturing, like, okay, he's 12, but you're, if you're, if you're picturing this voice emanating from the Holy of Holies, like you're picturing that deep, thunderous, like, Samuel, right? That, that Just that attention getter. And maybe when I talk about hearing God's voice, it puts this expectation that you have to hear him audibly. But I'm not saying God always speaks audibly. Sometimes he speaks to your spirit, man. Sometimes you, you hear it in your thoughts and you recognize that's the voice of God. And so don't put, don't put a cage around how God has to speak. And unless he's shouting your name in the middle of the night, you don't have to listen. Because sometimes he speaks, there's other stories in the Bible where he, he speaks in the still, small voice. He speaks in the whisper. There's other instances in the Bible for how he speaks. It's not just all audible. And just because it's not audible doesn't mean he's not speaking. How many, how many different senses do you have? Like most of us, we kind of know like our five senses. But if you ask a scientist, there's umpteen different senses that we have. Our sense of balance, our sense, like there's so many different senses beyond just those five. But you can look at scripture and scripture talks about all five of those and more in hearing the voice of God. Right? Like, there, there's a psalm that says what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Like that's hearing, like when you feel flavor in your mouth, (laughs) it's proof that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is good. The provider, the one who's given you the food that you're getting to eat, that's nourishing you. That's amazing to me. And we so, we so easily just take food for granted or take our five senses for granted. And God can speak to you through taste, through touch, through sight, through hearing. He can, ta- he can speak to you through it all. So don't let this be a limiting factor either. That God, well, God has to speak to me audibly. He has to call my name. Hillary. Right? Like we just, we kind of, Steve, like he's, we, we get this idea like he's got to call us a certain way. It's going to sound a certain way. And no, God's, God's speaking. God is speaking. His word is going forth. And you get to just catch it. You get to grab hold of it. You get to say, God, here I am. So Samuel's ministering in the temple before the Lord. And he's ready and willing. He's saying, here I am. Here I am. I'm ready. One of the other things going on before we go back into the passage and we move forward is not only has Eli become old, his sight is weak, but he's been leading so long, his sons are also supposed to be the next leaders of Israel. But his sons are completely corrupt. His sons are taking bribes. His sons are taking the special portions that were actually, like, of the sacrifice that you would bring to God. There was a certain portion that was supposed to go to the priests, and there was a certain portion that was supposed to be burned up before the Lord. And they were taking of the Lord's portions and eating it themselves. They were um, sleeping with some of the women that were supposed to be at the tent of meeting right there on the grounds, just full on corruption, and Eli wasn't doing anything about it. And so you also see this contrast in this whole, in the whole story that we don't have time to read. You see this contrast between the young boy Samuel, who's 12, and actively ministering before the Lord, hearing the voice of God for even the first time, and the older sons who are probably in their 20s or 30s, and just completely corrupt. Samuel is not following in their footsteps. Samuel is not doing what they are doing, despite the corruption that he sees. And he's young. He sees what they're doing, and he's focused. He's ministering before the Lord. He's setting himself apart. This is another aspect of hearing the voice of God. In the midst of corruption, you've set yourself apart. In the midst of evil and darkness, you're starting to recognize those patterns and you decide, I'm going to set myself apart to God. I'm going to minister before the Lord. It may not be perfect, but I'm going to set myself apart. And so there's this huge contrast between Eli and Samuel and also between Eli's sons and Samuel. And so that's just a little background because now God speaks to Samuel and we're up to verse 10. And it says, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. 
So I love his heart before. Here I am. Here I am. Right? He's just kind of got this little peppy 12-year-old kid excited. Like, here I am. Ready. It's the middle of the night, but whatever you need. And now he knows what to say, how to respond. And he says, speak for your servant is listening. And this can be, this can be a powerful catalyst for your prayer life because you, you want to say, here I am, like, Lord, send me, I'm willing, here I am, right? But you also have to have the ability to, to just sit and listen. To listen to what he's saying. Like, here I am, I'm listening. And most of us, we've talked about this in the weeks prior when we were discussing prayer, right? Most of us, we come to the Lord to talk. And Eli has forgotten a lot. He's missed God. He's become corrupt. He's old and decrepit. But he knows one thing. He knows to teach him to listen. If God's speaking, you listen. And so much of us in our prayer life, we're not used to listening. We're not used to the quiet. We're not used to the stillness. And so you have to purpose, you have to practice listening. And wouldn't it be awesome if at 12 years old you got taught to just say, hey, here I am, I'm listening. I'm listening. And so when Samuel says, your servant is listening, the Lord begins to speak. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't hear as much. Because we don't listen. I mean, it sounds so silly, right? Like, well, that's kind of obvious. But like, what if you're what if the main reason you're not hearing as much is because you're not listening? Like when you first got saved and you were on fire for God and you're pursuing him, and you're just anything he says, you're just drinking it in. And then somewhere along the way, you stop listening. And you need to just do a little pivot and start to listen again. Start to quiet yourself. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Wow. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Now imagine this 12-year-old kid hearing this. Like, you look up to Eli. He's the high priest. He's the one that you've learned everything you know from. And now you're hearing this crazy, like, judgment day is coming. And a couple of the things that stick out to me is the way that God phrases. He says, because of the sin he knew about. And we tend to like, we get really introspective and we're like, God, what sins am I committing that I don't know? But like, we get so worried about the things that we may or may not have committed. And God has, if he's confronted you about something, then that's the what? That's the sin you know about. That's the thing you need to concentrate on changing. 
And so a lot of the times, we're focused on the sins that he's not confronted us on. And he's wanting to start there. And God had confronted Eli years before. He sent a man of God to Eli and said, this is what's going on and this is what needs to change. Eli was confronted by the word of God from another man of God. And Eli didn't listen. He failed to restrain his sons. He failed to change. That was a warning. Judgment always comes with a warning. Sometimes if you, if you ever hear a corrective word of God, I've seen people respond several ways, but one of the ways that people respond is if someone comes up to them and corrects them and tells them that this XYZ judgment is coming, they go, oh, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. And then they don't change. And they assume that the judgment is already set in stone. But you remember the story of David and Bathsheba and they have that, they have that child and it says that David wept and cried out before the Lord. For seven days, it was prophesied that the child would die. But he wept and cried out to God for several days. And the child did die. But until then, what was he doing? He was repenting, changing his heart, and trying to come into alignment with the heart of God. And how do we know that we can't change that outcome? Most of us take it as the final say. Like, okay, God's word, set, God's word said it. God's word came forth. He used the prophet so-and-so to correct me. And that means that this, this punishment is going to happen. It's set. But it's very infrequently that God's punishment is set. His judgment is set. There's always room for repentance until he says, you've gone too far. There's always room for repentance. If there's something in your life that you've got going on that he's corrected you on, that you know you need to change, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to change. Don't act like the punishment is set in stone. Repent. Change your ways. Change your thought patterns. Change whatever, whatever's going on. Change those things. And Eli here gets told by a man of God that this judgment is coming, and Eli does nothing to change it. He fails to restrain his sons. And it was sin he knew about. And Eli's kind of like, oh, well, whatever the Lord wants. Like, I don't think God wants to judge like that. That's not the heart of God. And we see from later on, David, that that is definitely not the heart of God. And you see from stories before that, like, what about, what about with Abraham talking with God about Sodom and, Sodom and Gomorrah? Does it get any more corrupt than Sodom and Gomorrah? And what does Abraham do? All right, God, well, if there's 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? And God's like, yeah, I'll spare the city. And yeah, if there's 45 righteous people, will you spare the city? And they bargain. Abraham, like, Abraham's literally bargaining with God. Did you know you can do that? Like, that takes a little bit of audacity. Eli doesn't try to bargain with God and say, give me, give me two more years. I'll work with my sons. We'll implement this new program. I'll help them change their ways. I'll be more forceful in, in removing this corruption, etc." He doesn't do that. He doesn't plead for more time. He doesn't plead for God to change his mind. He just, all right, God said it. And God is a God of mercy. That's his default setting. God is a God of mercy. Later on in the New Testament, we find it says mercy triumphs over judgment. 
God leads with mercy. But we act like the judgment is coming. I think about that with regard to America. How many decades have people been prophesying the doom of America? Because of the sin, because of the corruption. America has become a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. Why aren't Christians then standing in the gap and saying, God, if there be 50 righteous people, will you not spare this country? Like, why do we get, we get so caught up in the politics of it all that we don't pray and repent and stand in the gap on their behalf, on, on our own behalf, on our country's behalf. We act like maybe judgment is coming. Maybe there is some terrible corruption in America. There, it's not maybe, there is, right? But the point is, we can change God's mind. We can set things aright. We can do something about it. But so many Christians have this mindset, just like Eli. And God's just been warning that judgment is coming, that things are on the right. He, he's not going to just let murderers go free forever, right? Judgment has to come. But in the meantime, he gives plenty of time to repent. He'd given Eli here plenty of time to repent. And now he's hearing his judgment from the mouth of a child. Verse 15. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And I love how it says Samuel lay down until morning. It doesn't say he went back to sleep. It just says he laid down. I'm just picturing that like this 12-year-old kid. Here's this crazy prophecy. Judgment is coming to your boss. <laughs> Everything prophesied about the house of Eli is about to come true. And you're just like, how do you go back to sleep after that? I don't think you do. So it just says he laid down until morning. <laughs> Good kid. All right. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. I love this kid. <laughs> here I am. What was it that he said to you? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. And you see that kind of like, I'm, I'm criticizing it a little bit, like kind of que sera, sera, like, ah, oh, well, whatever will be, will be, he's the Lord. Like, that's not, that's not how the priest is supposed to react. Like, the priest is supposed to, like, ask for forgiveness, to repent, to atone, to, like, I know that God says what he says, but he, he's a God of mercy and a God of judgment. It says righteousness and judgment are the foundation of his story. Like, yeah, he's a God of judgment. He's going to set things aright. Justice is good, but he leans into mercy. You can change your ways. You can change God's mind. But you can't have a mindset like Eli. Verse 19, and the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And that's talking about his prophecy. So basically, if Samuel said something, it came true. It happened, starting at 12 years old. If Samuel said something, it happened. None of his words fell to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, 
recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all of Israel. So the revelation came to Samuel of God's word, and then the word of Samuel went to all people, all Israel. And I just think this is such an amazing story. And I've had fun telling it. We're going through the different pieces of it. But as we close today, I want to get back to just asking that question. Well, what does that, where does that leave you? Where does that leave us? Because God is speaking. And then depending on who you ask, you'll hear people say that the word of God is rare. And then you have other people that say that God's speaking to them every other minute. And God told them what color socks to put on today. And God told them this and that. And it can get a little ridiculous. But you've got to figure out that God is not only speaking, he's speaking to you. And this morning, I'm here to tell you that you've got to have that mentality of, here I am. And then you've got to go home and you have to say, speak, Lord. I'm listening. I'm not, I'm not Eli. I'm not going to tell you to go back and lie down. Because <laughs> if, if, if we're putting it that way, like, that's like me saying, oh, hey, you can hear the voice of God, but just go back and do what, how you've been doing it. Go back to living life how you were living it. But a message like this to me means you've got to change your pattern. You've got to change what you're doing. There's got to be something different Monday than there was Saturday. And you can hear in the moment, you can say, here I am, here I am. And that's great. I need you to respond to God inside. But I also need you to go home. And put it into practice. And have a different mentality when you're in prayer. And don't have a mentality of prayer that's just talking to him. What if, what if you had a 20 minute prayer time and you didn't say a word? It might be really awkward. You wouldn't, I bet you wouldn't even feel like you prayed. Like, at least let me do, like, a Hail Mary or something, right? Like, something that makes me feel like I go around the rosary. I don't know. Like, I need to do something to make it feel like prayer. Like, we, we have this mentality of what prayer is, and it usually has to do with us talking. What do you think Jesus was doing on the, on the mountain all night? Like, we've got about three minutes of his recorded words. What if the rest of that time on the mountain, all night, was him listening. Getting instructions from heaven. Who to pray for. Where to go. Which disciple to thump over the head and say, stop being an idiot. That was funnier than, I, than you guys thought it was. <laughs> it's always Peter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like we've got patterns, we've got ideas, and we, we have this like idea in our mind of what a good prayer time is. And what if God's just asking you to listen? And you go home and you're like, all right, 
I'm going to try this. I'm going to set the clock. Pastor Aaron said it would work. And you set a timer for 20 minutes in silence. And it's going to probably be horrible. I don't know. Maybe I should, maybe I should give you more faith and be like, no, God's going to speak to you the very first time. I don't know how it's going to be for you. Maybe you, will, maybe you will have a wonderful, amazing experience. You'll have this Ezekiel, like wheels coming out of the sky and angels with eyes everywhere. Like maybe, I don't know what will happen for you. But what if nothing happens? I think it's still worth it coming up and saying, here I am. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. How many people do you think God has that tell him that? Like of all the Christians in the world, there's over 2 billion Christians in the world. People that say that they know Jesus. 2 billion. How many of those 2 billion does God have their ear? You want to set yourself apart as a Christian? This is, this is the way to do it. Practice listening. Practice hearing his voice. And you know what? It might start out and you're like, the word of the Lord is rare. <laughs> At least for me. Maybe, maybe it'll be a full week before you hear something. I don't, like, don't want to make any crazy promises. But you know what? At some point, you are going to start hearing God speak. I promise you. Because he's still speaking today. And you, you have to raise your expectations to the level of his word. You have to go to him and say, God, your word says, your word says, so I'm going to do it. Here I am, Lord. I'm listening. And then let him talk. And you hear God's heart for your life. Or maybe, maybe sitting in silence is too much. Maybe that's, I mean, it's a big that's a big step. What if, what if when you open his word, you say, God, I'm going to spend the next while reading your word. Speak. I'm listening. I get a lot of my insights just reading. I open the word and I read it and I, I hear his voice. I hear the Holy Spirit making it come alive to me. I hear him showing me different passages to go to. Like, oh, that'd be, sometimes I hear him like, oh, that'd be a great sermon. And other times he's like, no, no, no. That wasn't a sermon for them. That was a sermon for you. You need to change something. God speaks to me. And this is something I want to put into practice more myself this year. To say, God, here I am. Speak. I'm listening. So would you stand with me this morning? I look at this passage and I hear that line, here I am. It's like half the battle is just showing up. Half the battle is just showing up. Putting the remote down, putting the phone down, putting the book down, whatever it is, and just showing up. That's hard to do. Like, okay, in this moment, I got a bunch of eyes looking at me like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. I want to do it. But it's going to be hard to do. Like, let's not kid ourselves. This week, if you go to try and do it, you're not going to always feel like it. 
but showing up is part of the battle. Here I am. God, here I am. And it's so worth it. And what if, what if it, what, what if this sermon is the beginning of God calling you? What does that, what does that look like? What does that calling look like for you? For me, I know I got my call at a really young age. That's where the call started. I, I was pro- I remember at least by sixth grade. So what are you, like 12 in sixth grade? Some, that's when it sort of started for me. And not everybody's call is the same. Not everybody's call is to have a pastor title. When I say call, I'm not talking about my call for you. I'm talking about your call for you. The one that God has for you. The one that he wants to partner with you on. That you will enjoy and flourish. What is that call? What is that desire? And can God speak that into you? Start to draw that out of you, that call. And, and probably even as I'm saying this, like you're remembering back and you're like, you know what? I was feeling inklings of this when I was 11, 12, 13. I was feeling some of this. Some of you, you're like, I didn't even know God, but looking back, like God was speaking some things to me. And so, Lord, I pray for this group of people right now and those that will listen later. And I pray that you would start to call them start to draw their heart. Call them into prayer. Call them into moments of silence before you, listening, practicing, listening, and quieting themselves. This is the antidote to anxiety. This is the antidote to our culture. This is the antidote to depression. This is the antidote. Getting in your presence and listening to you, listening to your heart. This is the antidote for all of those ills. God, help us to just show up. To say, God, here I am. Speak. For your servant is listening. So would you all pray with me this morning and just say, Jesus, thank you for this message today. Install it in my spirit. This is who I want to be. I want to say, here I am. I want to say, Lord, I'm listening. Speak to me. And so today, I'll pray it again with me. And so today, I give you my life. It's yours. Everything I am, everything I have, it's yours. I lay it at your feet. Here I am. I'm listening. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.